Welcome to the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, the series where we highlight the people, the technologies, and the companies that are shaping the future of retail. Today, we are joined by Stacey Schulman, Vice President of Internet of Things Group and the GM for Health and Life Sciences and Emerging Technology at Intel. Stacey, welcome to the show. All right, thanks for having me. And uh, wow, what a title, right? Yeah, that's a title. I was going to make a joke about it, but you beat me to it. I'm sure that's not the first time. No, that's that's quite the title. We're going to we're gonna to have to get into that a little bit too, but I'm excited because I've been wanting to do this for quite a while with you. I've known you, I think now for, God, it's probably, I, I was looking at your timeline too. You've been at Intel almost four years now, and I think I, I met you a little bit just before that. Um, and, and I never shared the story, but first time I met Stacy, we were at a dinner uh, with a bunch of people. I think it was at, it might even have been at Shop Talk. It was Shop Talk, yeah. Yeah, and a uh, whole host of people at dinner and I'm sitting next to Stacy. we've never met each other. And, and there was a, a, a journalist that started asking me all kinds of questions about store the future at Target. And Stacy's like coming to my defense, like, hey, he's not going to tell you that. Lay off. That's not going to happen. And so ever since the day, I was like, all right. And we've kind of had a, a friendship ever since. So it's great to have you on the show. Um, with all that out of the way, like, tell us, a little, before we get into the title and Intel and everything it's all about, like, tell us about you. Like, your background is incredibly interesting. Um, especially if you look back throughout your entire career. So I'd love to let people know more about who you are. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I didn't intend to get into technology. I was actually a psychology major, um, but that's come in very handy throughout my career. And um, as I started in, I actually, you know, kind of working my way through college was working for Walmart and was a buyer for them. And at the okay. time, Walmart was going through the process of um, transitioning from book based buying to auto replenishment and all of that. So I've totally dated myself. Um, and, uh, and because I was the youngest person who wasn't afraid of the computer, I ended up becoming the specialist, right? Okay. Um, and uh, so from that, I realized that I kind of like this technology stuff and completely changed my trajectory into technology. I didn't know how I was going to do it. Went to work for a computer training school and taught software um, crazy time. And then from that went into teaching software for a company called Retail Technologies, which, which uh, developed software, um, point of sale software for mid-market in the okay. luxury, their luxury space. And so kind of through the years, I spent, you know, about 13 years with that company and all the variety of companies that spun out of it. And um, we built, you know, QuickBooks point of sale as an example. We built Hmm. Um, a whole bunch of different types of products that were geared towards mid-market and, and put around ecosystems that would get that product to scale. Um, so spent a, a lot of my time on, on building commercial software products and then um, left that, did some, some consulting, um, and then went to work for American Apparel, who was a customer of ours that used our software. Mm. And so if you've never sold software to a company and then moved to the software to manage that software program that you built, um, you haven't lived a painful <laughs> life. And um, it was extraordinarily painful to, you know, when you're on the side of building software and selling it to people and having an opinion about all the ways that they could improve their company and you don't have a long-term say, um, and then you jump into that company that you advised for a long time, and now you own the thing that you sold to them as something that you've got to support. It's um, it's eye opening. Yeah, I can't imagine a lot of people have done that. That's got to be pretty unique too. Like, what did you learn through that experience? I mean, that's eating what you cook, literally. Yeah, I mean, it was um, 
Uh, well, here's what I learned is that it's a lot easier to sit in your chair and critique other people than mm-hmm. it is to actually do the work, right? I mean, that was okay. unfortunately the, the hard lesson of maturing. Um, I learned that you, you've got to bring empathy into the conversation when you're looking at the challenges of a retail business or any business. If you don't have empathy for what the long-term um, manageability of that product is, then you're, you're not solving the right problem because the problem isn't a short-term problem. It's a long-term problem. It's, it's a sustainable problem, you know, that you've got to enable them and equip them the right way. And I think, you know, too many times, you know, in, in the advice that I've given and what I see a lot of consultants do, it just feels so easy. You do a quick fix and then the consultants out of there, it was easy for them. Uh, But the people that are left picking up the pieces and managing that long-term, you know, they've got to figure out how to maintain that and keep it current. And so that's, I think, what opened my eyes to, you know, what, and started me on that, that journey of innovation of, okay, what does sustainable innovation look like? Sustainable innovation isn't just throwing a bomb in the room and, you know, everyone's excited and you know, they all scatter or whatever. It's a terrible analogy. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the, the latest gimmick that people can get excited about. It's not theatrics. It's, it's about things that can change the business for the long haul. And, um, and I've really changed kind of the way I approach innovation from that, from that point. Cece, tell, tell us a little bit about that, because I'm curious, like, what you use as your rubric or approach to what, what you define as innovation or how you approach innovation in your work now and, and in the past. Yeah, I, I'm, for me, um, innovation is about solving the right problem. I, I think innovation is more about understanding the problem set than it is about um, making something new. And so that, that that's hmm. kind of the, the approach. If you can identify the problem set and then you can solve for those problems and the, 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 the harder problems, the better, the ones that everyone's to tell you are impossible to solve. That's where real innovation happens. Um, and so my approach is get a bunch of grumpy people in the room. A lot of times, <laughs> not the optimistic ones that think you can do anything, get the grumpy ones. Right. The ones who were pessimistic about life. Right. Exactly. Those people put them in the room and let them tell you all the things that aren't possible and then uh, document it and then um, go through and then ask them and everyone who says it's not possible when you ask them, well, think of ways that you could possibly do it. um, They usually have some really good suggestions. So that's kind of the heart of uh, the approach. That's funny. I've never thought about that. Whenever I go to a presentation and you get that kind of feedback and response back. I guess now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, it means you probably hit a nerve in the right way, right? Yeah. Yep. Where'd you go next? So so American Apparel, uh, what happened What happened next? Oh, yeah. American Apparel was a wake-up call and, um, you know, moving fast. <laughs> Just like, oh my God, fast, yeah. make it stick. Um, you know, Dub Charney was a, was a fascinating guy to work for, and that's putting it the nicest possible way I can put it. And, um, <laughs> you know, and he was... He was all about speed, but he was way before his time. I mean, we had um, shipped from store in 2009. Oh, wow. And um, we, you know, distributed from a single distribution center to everywhere in the world and can have any product on the doorstep of the store, any place in the world in under two days. And um, we didn't, we spent less than, than most people did in shipping, but we, hmm. we rate shopped off of airline and just unsold air cargo space on airlines. We rate shopped from Southwest Airlines. We rate shopped from Uber at the time. We rate shopped 
um, uh, taxi systems and courier services and Greyhound buses. And it, and we had to do a lot of predict prediction on um, where the product needed to be based on its rate of sale. And so we would rate shop, put something on a Greyhound bus, have it on its way before it was even out of stock at a store. And so that's the type of stuff that we were doing back then. And then we, you know, of course went pretty deep into RFID at the time. So, you know, going from there and then, you know, kind of jumping over to Levi's night and day, um, Levi's 150 year old company, very mature and thinking about the next 150 years. And so there's a different type of company there. And, and the way that that innovation had to happen was just so different than this kind of young startup aggressive company that wants to change the world. And so was that a cultural thing or like what, what, what makes you say that cultural? I mean, it's probably, there's probably a lot of debt that was carried, I think probably culturally, infrastructurally, architecturally, but what in your mind, what was it? I think that, you know, when you're in a 150 year old company, um, things don't need to be as fast, you know, because you're thinking about what do we impact for the next 150 years? And so that sense of speed, that scrappiness isn't generally there. Um, and then I think in that, in that time in, at Levi's, that's where I learned that you just, like when you're moving really fast, you're not worried about bringing people along. You're not worried so much about change management because you just change management. You don't manage change if it's that fast. Um, in American Apparel, the way you manage change is people just, you rip the Band-Aid off and you just, they just kind of accepted it. Um, you can't do that in a company that's been around for 150 years. And so... I think that's where I learned that if you really want sustainable innovation in a big company that's been around in a more mature company with more mature processes, you really have to get good at influencing um, your stakeholders and bringing them along in the journey. And it, it feels painful a lot of times, especially for people who are ambitious to get things done. But that was, that was the big lesson there is you've got to do it. It's important. What, what advice would you, I'm curious, and what advice would you have for big companies to because you hear that a lot, right? Like that that's a phenomenon. What, what advice do you have for big companies to guard against that? Like to, to know that, you know, that's in place and you've got to put in process, put in place, excuse me, systems and processes to, to, to ward that almost zeitgeist off in a manner of speaking. Yeah, this is a tough one. And I think, um, uh, you know, at Levi's, uh, I worked for Roland Poniker, who um, is my hero in the industry. If you haven't talked to Roland, um, I highly recommend it. He was the CIO of Nike for many, many years and, and retired from there. And um, uh, Roland, what he kind of instilled in all of us was you really have to um, build trust with the team that you're in and, and the people around you and, and, and do that first. Before you talk about anything else, make sure that you're building trust with, with the people that, with your stakeholders and your, uh, more importantly, your partners um, around you. And so I think that's the advice for, for big companies is focus on that trust issue first. Focus on building trust in your teams. The rest of it then speeds up. And, um, you know, you can put in more process. You can do all of that. But at the heart of it is relationships. And those relationships need to be strong to move fast. So you will have to go slow to go fast a leader. Yes. So to speak. Yep. That was a hard lesson, right? Because it's you know, especially when you're ambitious to get things done and results driven, there's too many people who run in way too fast and they don't realize that later on you're going to just run into a wall Mm -hmm. and you're going to stop. And this is, you know, we've seen over the years, all these innovation teams that started strong and then fizzled. 
And I think that's, you know, not that you have any experience at all with that. <laughs> no, no, we have no experience with that at all. And I think, I think that's a hundred percent right. You know, and I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the mindset of the people that are approaching that work. Also the mindset of the people that are managing that work too, right. That like, you also have to give them the space to go slow to then go fast later on as well. Um, how do you find, I'm curious, like, how do you, cause after Levi's, you made the switch to Intel, like, how does that dynamic work then as you're, you know, a tech company, essentially, you know, servicing, you know, different verticals of industry, we'll stay in retail for right now. But, um, you know, there's the tendency of, you know, the t- you, you always see it too, like, you, and you've seen every company do this, like, hey, we'll bring this tech person in or this tech company in, and they'll, you know, regalvanize our efforts. Um, I imagine that's, that's kind of a, a, a double-edged sword to play in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, um, what I'll say is, thank goodness I went to um, Levi's first and learned the big hmm. company lesson of building trust and all of that, because that, that definitely helped in a company like Intel. So Intel is kind of the American Apparel and Levi's both combined into one company, which is kind of bizarre. Um, hmm. It's a startup. It behaves like a startup in a lot of ways, um, but it's still a big company. And, um, and so you can get things off the ground really fast, but if you want to sustain them and keep people's interest, you've, you had to have done all of that pre-work in advance to make sure that you've, your stakeholders are aligned and, and that you can move forward with them. Um, and so moving into an Intel was, was, you know, it was a journey. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it's, um, you know, although there's tons of innovative people, um, I think with a lot of tech companies, what you have is you've got a lot of innovative people who are not grounded in the right problem statement. And, and so when you have talented engineers in any company who are not fully um, in tune with what the problem is that they need to solve, engineers make up problems to solve. Um, if they're ambitious and they, they, they want to solve a problem. So they just make it up and I, you know, they don't like just sit around and make it up, but it feels like that sometimes when I mean, you're, you start talking to them, you're like, nobody really has that as a challenge in their life. Um, I think that's why we had beacon technology take off. For a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's always my favorite. The beacon will serve you ads while you're in aisle. That's always my favorite, yeah, my favorite exactly. the use case without a problem. Yeah, um, like I'd like to drain your battery and show you ads at the same time. I'm sure everyone's going to clamor to put this on your phone. Yeah. Cause I can't see the sign right in front of me if you've done that effectively. Right. Yeah. No, that's what, Oh man. Um, yeah. I mean, it's got it. Yeah. I mean, your background is so, I mean, it's, there's just so much to it. Um, yeah, this one, this one might be a little bit of a longer podcast for us too, because there's a lot to get in here to into here with you, but well, let's talk about the job now. Yep. Let's shift gears. How do you think of the internet of things? I just had to do a webinar on smart retail technology yesterday. Like how do you define internet of things, that concept? And it's applicable across retail, but also, you know, to your broader title now, you know, really life in general. I think that um, Internet of Things is one of those big marketing umbrellas that, uh, honestly, I think it's going to change. We're going to start talking more about edge. Internet of Things okay. is falling out of favor. But um, it, it, in general, you know, when we started kind of back through this, first we started talking about things that needed to be connected. And, you know, that's where the Internet of Things journey started. We were just going to connect things. And then we all talked about connected things. Then we started talking about smart things. Okay, after they got connected, let's make them smart. We had smart everything, smart homes, smart thermostat, th- smart toaster, smart refrigerator, right? We, smart things. Now we're moving into the era of autonomous. And so after those things are connected and smart, now you can start putting some real intelligence into them 
and making making them autonomous. So now you're starting to hear more about autonomous stuff, autonomous okay. cars, autonomous retail, autonomous you know solutions. And so for me, um, IoT is an evolution of taking taking um, things that can provide additional data and context and connecting them together and um, delivering more value than, than what you could have gotten out of them disconnected. And so, you know, it, to me, it's not about a smartwatch or, you know, any of those types of devices. It's really about all of the data that happens out at the edges of, of the network, all at the edges in a store, in a, in a pharmacy, wherever you're at, there's lots of data that happens there. And that, that data can add context to problems that you need to solve. And so that's, that's the way I see um, Internet of Things, or we're going to start talking about the edge a lot more. And not the one from you two. This is, this is the edge computing we're talking about. That's right. Um, Stacy, tell me a little bit about, as we're moving into this autonomous version of, or evolution, I guess, of Internet of Things, what are some of the things that you guys are telling brands or retailers or businesses, for that matter, um, that can help them kind of approach this in the right way? Yeah, I think that the main thing is understand the problem you want to solve for your customer. Um, you know, and again, that sounds really obvious, but um, it, it people don't behave that way. And, you know, so the, if you want something that's autonomous, um, whether it's autonomous retail or whatever those solutions are, what customer problem are you trying to solve? If you're a shoe retailer, you may not need an autonomous store. Um, you know, just, you know, maybe what your customer really wants is um, good style advice or or advice on how this this thing that they're going to buy helps their life or solves a problem for them. And so, uh, you know, I think that understanding that customer, um, the customer problem and, and mapping the technology to that is helpful. Now, where autonomous solutions that we're seeing um, take off right now is um, robotics. I mean, store in-store robotics. Um, uh, I love robots, so I'm biased here, but um, I do think that they play a role. And um, I know that it's kind of, you know, had different uh, views out there in the industry on whether they'll take off. But you know, once COVID hit, um, that I think that conversation has changed. Mm-hmm. And re- retailers, and I won't name them, who, who went on record saying we'll never put robots in our stores um, are reconsidering now. Yeah, we know some of them. I know some of them fairly well. Yeah, they. But to that point, um, one of the things, one of the unlocks for me personally, and and it, it's, I think it's resonating in what you talked about too. And given your history in the industry, I want to get your thoughts on this. Is it's made me start to think about things more with that word, you know, connected, where all the 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 future answers to whatever problem you are trying to solve probably are likely some system of interconnected activities that are, you know, happening by way of technology versus just a point to point implementation, which I think traditionally is how we've always tried to solve problems before. Like let's get better at X, Y, or Z versus, you know, let's, you know, define or imagine what the experience is or the problem we're trying to solve or what that answer could be and figuring out how to make all these things work together. And that's like, to me, that's what's essentially the kind of the robotics argument too is, when you think about robotics in that way of a robot running down the aisles and all the things it could do, if you start to connect the different activities and the different, different technologies, then it does start to become really powerful. 
I just said a lot there. I did that intentionally. How do you think about what I just said? Am I sniffing up the right tree? Is there anything I've got wrong? What would you add there? No, I agree. And I think that that's, um, we have to look at um, solutions like that holistically, I think mm-hmm. is, is kind of your point, right? Is that when we look at it and we start looking at how do you collect this different information, what are ways you can solve problems? So as an example with the robot, yeah, it can roll down the aisles and it can sweep floors. Yep, that's one, one, way it, one thing it can do. That's great. And it, you can do an ROI analysis on all of the things that the labor savings that you have and how much clean, cleaner your floors are, right? Right. Um, and then you can say, well, if I, the, the robot already has a camera on it so it doesn't run into people. Um, what if that camera was pointed at the shelf and could tell you where you're mislabeled on the mm-hmm. shelf? Well, that's great. Now that has a whole ROI. And what if it could tell you that you're missing items off the shelf and so you don't have to have somebody walk through with a handgun and do that manually? Um, Well, now that's way more meaningful. So as you layer in these different use cases together and, and, you know, start breaking down some of the silos in an organization to, to leverage those assets better, then I think you just get a lot more out of it. And, and, you can take that data and use it in so many other ways in other systems as well. What do you think holds that back? I, I always get into this. I got in this discussion yesterday of, you know, there's the, the incremental innovation where you try to, you know, retrofit the store and you're just trying to build it a little bit better each and every day. But that's hard to do inside of an ongoing operation, you know, versus like, say, more greenfield experimentation, a la like what Amazon is so famous for doing. How how do you think about that dichotomy and how do you ultimately think retailers need to break through to get the things implemented to the degree that you're talking about, to make that connectivity happen? Yeah, I think that there's there's a challenge in retail with prioritization. You know, okay. we've got you know, every project that's on the list of a retailer right now is a positive MPV project. Of course, there's not a single project that's not going to drive a positive MPV. And most of them have to drive a positive MPV in six months or, or less right. anymore. And so when we start looking at that and you start looking at some of these newer technologies, they do require some incubation. And you're not going to, you're not going to you know, start creating that, that positive ROI or MPV in, in, the, in the timeframes that all of your other projects are. And so I think when that happens and you've got to, a team that's completely filled up with projects, they've got to prioritize the ones that drive the, the benefit the fastest. That, that's the prioritization. Um, I think there needs to be a thought in some of these um, prioritization discussions around putting budgets to longer range projects and starting to fund those early on. Um, we, we use the zones to win framework at Intel to make those decisions. And, um, and we look at, you know, you've got to have things in your incubation bucket. And if you're not incubating, you don't have any things in your incubation bucket, you're, you're wagering your future and you're sacrificing that for the things today. So I do think that there needs to be a, a better balance on that investment balance in, in retail. And it's important here. So essentially what you're saying is if you're not investing in those, in, in those types of things, you don't have a diversified portfolio when it comes to protecting your long-term interests. That's right. Yeah. And, and then you wake up one day and your, you know, your competitors are outpacing you and you don't know how to catch them and you're still behind. You're in this perpetual cycle of being behind and playing catch up. Right. Check lanes are suddenly gone. They don't yeah. exist anymore. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. You've finally <laughs> gotten your new point of sale system through QA. Right, 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 right. It's like, oh, we don't do that anymore. That's right. You know that well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
eight in 18 months where will the it's like we were talking about earlier in 18 months you know kroger and Ocado's warehouses will be built and what will the future of what will retail look like in 18 months by the time that those things are done and so much will change and and the longer that you you draw that out uh the worse off you can be perhaps uh stacy i'm curious how your work now at intel gets into that with retailers and brands. How are you and your team working with them to help decide what kinds of things to prioritize, um, how to incorporate innovation correctly into their teams? What what are you guys doing and what kind of services are you offering those uh, clients? Yeah, so we're not a services company and we're, we're, that's not what we do. Um, I mean, we are an R&D organization and the way that we do that is different though. Um, the hmm. way that okay. Intel does R&D is... We go out and we partner with ecosystem and we ask what, what's holding you back. And what we believe in is, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we sell compute, you know, we, we're, we're a compute company. We sell compute. Right. And um, if people are innovating, they're going to need more compute. So that's the simplest way of answering, like, how do you monetize your efforts question, which usually mm-hmm. gets asked, um, it, you know, if, if people are innovating, they need compute. If companies are innovating, they need compute. And so what they innovate on, we've got a lot of leeway as an organization on, on where we put our attention to go move an industry. And, um, and so we tend to look at where are the biggest obstacles for the organizations that haven't been solved. And that's important because, you know, consultant consultants will go into a retail company and talk about how to prioritize things that have a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do that. We, that's solved already. We're looking at whether the problems that haven't really been solved um, and so as an example, you know, things like heat mapping and path tracking, all of that, that's been solved. That's a solved, solved technical um, thing in the industry. Now, not every retailer has done it because they haven't prioritized the investment in it, but it's solved. Um, and so our problem, you know, we'll go look at things that we don't think are solved. So the, as an example, one of the big areas that we've been focused on was experiential retail. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we think that that's a, this area that's nebulous and that people don't really understand what it means. You know, it, it can't mean just a digital sign and a gimmick. It's got to mean more. And so we put a lot of time and investment into understanding that space and understanding how do you scale experiential? So that would be an example of kind of areas that we, we dive into. Talk more about that. Like, are you, and what specifically too, cause it's always been a question for us. Like, you mentioned scalability. Like, yeah, people talk about that all the time. Like, Hey, we'll have more experiences inside physical spaces, but scaling that across 500, a thousand disparate locations is really tricky. Is that fundamentally what you're talking about? That's right. And I think that, you know, when we go back down to understanding where, what's the real gap there, if you think about experiential, it's probably the one area that doesn't actually have a defined process to it. No, not at all. Follows, right. No. Yeah. And so that's one of the things we're like, why don't, why doesn't this have a process? So one of the projects we did at Intel is we partnered with um, uh, one of the people who was um, a producer for Wicked and asked, how does the movie industry do this? I mean, it's experiential and there is a process. There's a process to producing some of the stuff. There's a process to working with creatives without putting with, with, you know, not stifling their creativity, but putting enough process around them that it lets them deliver their creativity in a way that's predictable, that has budgets, and, you know, you can do over and over again. It's a repeatable process. So um, what we actually think is the retail industry needs a process around how to um, get into experiential type projects. 
And so that, um, you know, you'll see coming out of some of the work that we're doing right now with Area 15 and some of our cohorts there is what is an innovation process, an experiential process look like? We actually think that could also be applied to innovation. Hmm. And, what, and, and tell us more. Oh, go ahead, Anne. Oh, I was just going to say, and I guess how you're sharing information from what's happening in that experiential retail environment and having the compute power to do that and in real time, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the core of it is if you if you have to, if you're going to build an experience, you need to know that it's working. Mm-hmm. And to know that it's working, you got to set up a test and you got to know how to test the effectiveness of it. Um, and so that's, you know, if we come back to why is Intel care, well, we, we, we care because um, if you're going to set up a test to measure things, there's probably going to be some cute compute involved to there. Right. And it's got to, yeah, it's got to be repeatable. What's, let's double click into that. Like what is, what are some of the things at Area 15 that you guys are doing that help to understand what some of those eventual answers might be that you can talk about? Yeah, I'll, I'll t- I can tell you um, what our what our pre-COVID approach was. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, can, that, <laughs> that's, uh, that winky dink. Yeah, yeah. it's got changed a little bit. Um, <laughs> but you know, we we started Area 15. They're a entertainment complex. Uh, you know, they they don't allow me to say that they're a mall because they're not. Um, Nobody like, does they, anymore, Stacy. Right. I mean, they're an entertainment <laughs> complex that happens to have stores and restaurants and things along those lines. Um, but they are very different. And we, we thought, you know, these guys are people who are going into retail and really pushing the status quo on, on what a retail experience looks like. And so we thought, let's, let's just go partner with them. And partnering, it's light partnership. Really, we just want to be in there. We just want to be around them and understand how they're approaching the problem and, you know, intercept where we can, where we can help. And we, we set up a, a, a place there where our intention was that we would take some of these experiential um, uh, setups, whatever we were going to do, if it's going to be, you know, projection mapping to create kind of a unique experience, we would bring in and say, okay, who are the partners? Who are the players involved? How do you set something up like this? What are the pieces involved? And then we would, we would create those blueprints and put, give them to the industry. So instead of everyone having to try to figure out, like, how do I do, um, you know, projection mapping and how do I make it affordable, we would do that hard work and then we would go test it in Area 15. So that, that's, that was the plan. And that's still, you know, in, you know, in our longer term horizon to do that. But short term, because of COVID and because we can't get people working in that way right now, we changed it to let's uh, build a community of people who don't normally talk to one another. And so now you have technologists speaking to people who are, you know, in the movie industry with um, artists and architects and uh, psychologists and neuroscientists and get these people talking to one another. And we have this philosophy that you get people talking to one another like that and and talking about the things that are their challenges um, and you cross pollinate some of that um, magic comes out of it. So that that's kind of our, our, belief. Um, I would say, you know, can we point to something that's been produced out of that? Um, yes, but I don't know that I can today uh, talk <laughs> about it. Um, but yeah, I think that we're going to see some really interesting things come out of that. Well, I think final, that's interesting. Final quote. Yeah, that's always, I remember this from Shop Talk too. I think it was Lionel Richie, right? But who said it was like, you know, it always, innovation happens at the edge of the comfort zone, which is really where two biospheres intersect. Those two communities that don't normally interact, who have to adapt to each other to figure out new ways of doing things. I mean, to that, to that point, this last question, then we'll play how millennial are you? 
where do you look to for inspiration in terms of industries that are thinking about things in this way and advancing the cause in this way, so to speak, um, in terms of connectivity, internet of things, and, and like we were just describing there? Well, I'll t- I can, I don't know that it's an industry that's inspiring me, but it's a group okay. of people. Um, so okay. I've been involved a lot with XPRIZE Foundation. And if, you, if you're not familiar with them, they're the ones that essentially started the commercial space race. And, okay. and they did it through prize competitions. Um, and so, you know, what you have is you have people from all sorts of industries all together thinking about big audacious solves. Um, these are possibility thinkers that don't think with constraints whatsoever. You know, and they're talking about things like longevity, human longevity, and how do you solve for human longevity? Um, they're, they're discussing things like how do you how do you cure Alzheimer's um, once and for all, and what do you who are the people that you need to bring together for that? Um, discussions around how do you mine asteroids for you know rare rare metals. <laughs> Never thought about that, <laughs> right? I mean, these are, these are types of things that you're like, what? Um, you know, there was. There was a session where somebody was like, you know, we can, you know, maybe put like um, shade sails out in outer space to, to that, that are used, you know, every now and then to help global warming. I mean, these, these are the types of things that come out of these, these groups that are just kind of way out there. But when you start thinking about it, you know, having a rocket that went up to space and landed back in perfect unison was way out there until we saw Elon Musk do it. Yeah, right. And so, right. you know, things are way out there until you see someone do it and then it seems pretty normalized and it's not a big deal anymore. And so these are the types of people that inspire me is being around people who think without boundaries and without constraints and then think through those constraints about how you can solve a big problem. I have to imagine, Stacy, that you and your team, though, are those people for a lot of retailers and brands, too. I mean, your your experience just that you've shared with us on the podcast so far of really looking at the problem first and figuring out what innovation needs to come from it. Um, that's that's not something that I think is innate, especially when you've been working at a brand or a retailer for quite a long time, Chris and I, as Chris and I have encountered for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, we were, we were talking about space and I think that we need to get into our next part of the show, which is how millennial are you? Because the space race is on and we need to add some, by the way, Chris, like as a side note, we need to add some space related questions. Yeah. To, or I guess millennial you could, are you? you could call this our final frontier. You, one could call it that. Yes. But one could. We yeah. are not going to, but one could call it that. <laughs> and might yes. not, but we could, yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Stacey, are you ready to play our favorite game, How Millennial Are You? I am. All right, let's do this. Okay, so the first question is, when you are going to pay for groceries, um, what are you pulling out at the checkout? Are you using some form of mobile payment or are you pulling out cash or credit card? Oh, I'm not at a checkout because I use Instacart. Oh, don't even go into a store for anything. Nope. I, don't, I don't walk into stores anymore. And I, I apologize to <laughs> the retail industry. I'm so sorry I've abandoned you on your brick and mortar stores. But no, but there is somebody in my defense. There is somebody in your store shopping for me. Yes. Um, it's not me. So it's Instacart. And, and they may be using some, they're using their mobile device. And plus Instacart, I think that you automatically, that's, that's a millennial answer, 100%. <laughs> Yeah. We'll give you that question. 
Um, COVID answer too. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I think I might know the answer to this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. In the, in the last week, how many times have you ordered food or drinks from an app? Yeah. Um, I, this last week I've been pretty good in not ordering food or drinks. Okay. Um, but I would say, you know, given that I shop through an app for all food, um, yes, I would say, you know, the percentage of the food that I consume that's been, you know, purchased through an app is almost a hundred percent. Wow. So I'd answer it that way. Yeah. She that's wins, uh, that's she how I'm in right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's definitely Yeah. No, I think, I think there's a lot of people rolling like that right now. All right, last question, Stacy. I can't if, wait for this one. If you were only going to use one social app, which one would you choose and why? Okay, so this is one that, um, uh, well, the, first let me give some context. I, I don't like Facebook. It's not my thing. Okay. Um, I, Twitter is just getting depressing <laughs> nowadays. Um, and don't judge me for this, but it's going to be TikTok. I Whoa, love TikTok. it. Why? Yeah. Okay. Cause it's fun. It's <laughs> delightful. That's why it makes me happy. Now I, I think that it's also underutilized. Um, you know, right now it's just, you know, predominantly people dancing on there and you're not going to find that on TikTok. Don't even try to look for that. It's not going to happen. But um, uh, with me, uh, but what I'll say is that if, you know, I see TikTok as, you know, the, what Twitter is to Facebook, I see TikTok is to YouTube. And um, being able to use that platform in a different way, I think there's a ton of opportunity there for retailers because um, video is an important medium. And um, video, nobody wants to watch a, you know, an hour-long video from a brand. But a quick video snippet is fun, and TikTok's got the right platform for that. So, yep, there, there you go, TikTok. What do you think of reels? Have you explored that at all? Or is it TikTok all the way? Yeah, you know, I've looked at other ones. And then, you know, the rebelliousness in me says TikTok's it because, you know, we're pushing back on it right now. Right. As a, as a country. So the rebel in me says I'm going to stay to TikTok until then. Yeah, it's double down. I have to think about that. Twitter is to Facebook what uh, what TikTok is to YouTube. I got to think, think about that more. That's, 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 that's heady here. I like that. I got to think about that. I don't know, Anne. What do you think? I mean, she took it. TikTok. Like, she dropped TikTok. That's pretty. Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty yeah. yeah. I think millennial might be too old, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. right. Yeah, we do. We might have to. Yes. Have to I think Gen Z is probably Gen more Z, appropriate. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we have thought about changing the game. I have one question that I'm just going to throw in here randomly, which we, you know, which no one knew was coming, but I just have to ask it given some of the conversation we've had, and it's just a, it's just a, this or that. Stacy, Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, okay. Yeah. So when I got married, I promised that I would get into Star Trek. And um, that was a promise that I made. And I thought I would hate it. But I and I got drugged and in, drug into it kicking and screaming, but it's Star Trek all the way. Yeah. I knew it. Uh, I had to go for it. I wanted wow. to figure that was the case. Figure that was the case. Okay, but you but you got into it. Okay, Afro, that's good. That's good to know. All right. I did. Yeah, I like the. I, I like kind of what it stands for. I like the the social part of it. Yeah, it seemed seemed like it too. It was kind of in line with the ethos that you were describing before. Yep. I would like to be a fly on the wall at the wedding where the vows included. I will adopt Star Trek. 
I didn't put it into the vows. That was where I put my foot down. <laughs> you drew the line somewhere. But it was brought up, maybe, <laughs> perhaps, a consideration for the vows. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. All right. Well, that was a ton of fun, as always. Learned a ton again, too, which is why we do this. Um, really enjoyed that and, and, and got to go into some really cool arenas with you today, Stacey. So hey, if people want to learn more, they want to get in touch with you, Intel, like, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, you can email me. It's stacy.shulman at intel.com. Awesome. Or, or awesome. find me on LinkedIn. Um, j- but just know that I'm really slow to respond there. So I apologize now. But I'm, <laughs> I might not get back to you for a couple months. But if you, if you send me an email, like, I'll, I'll get back to you. Email email's the way to go. That's great. We don't get a lot of emails too. So that's awesome. So everyone listening, check that out. That's super cool. Direct email to Stacy. All right. Well, hey, again, thank you so much. Again, Stacy Schulman of Intel. Thanks everyone for tuning in and listening to the latest edition of the Omnitalk Spotlight Series. As always, be careful out there.